today I just want to entitle this Points of Grace. You're at Grace Point, so what better sermon title, right? There's many, many points of grace. And one thing that I have seen is that over the years now, as I've preached the message of God's good news, of the grace of God, that the heads of the saints have come up and that the hope in their heart has increased. And, and as they begin to realize the finished work of Jesus on the cross and really what he accomplished for them, they begin to put their confidence in that instead of their performance. And, and they know that they're, they're blessed of God. They know that they're forgiven. They know they're accepted by the Lord. And not only accepted, but they're accepted in the beloved. And who, who is the beloved? His name is what? Jesus. And so God put us in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Not an old creation with a paint job. But a totally new you. The new you is really new. Amen? So I'm just going to have, give you four points this morning. A, a great preacher gives you three, and a greater preacher gives you four. So I'm going to give you four. Okay? Uh, most of these points are going to come out of the book of Colossians. And I love this uh, uh, book. I, love, uh, uh, I recommend the whole Bible, actually. But uh, Colossians is a great book that Paul wrote. And it, it dismantles so many things that many of us still try to hold on to today. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, I'll just read this one and then we will, we will uh, begin. But he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. And uh, that's kind of a strange way to, to, to say something. But he, he says, don't, don't let anybody cheat you. Cheat you out of something. And then what, what's he talking about? He says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So we got three accordings there. So we got the according to the tradition of men, the according to the basic principles of this world, and then he draws the paradox and not according to Christ. So that's where we want to start this morning. And Father, we do thank you for the grace of God that for salvation that has appeared to all men. I pray that this congregation today be edified as Jesus Christ is glorified. I pray, Father, for eternal significant things to happen today as we believe and put our faith in you and our trust in your finished work and what you accomplished on that cross. We bless you and we're blessed by you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, you can be seated. So the first point is that Paul warns us, don't let anybody cheat you with traditions of men. Now, I want to be quick to say this before some of you, because some of you have read the Bible, and you know some things that it says in there. And so Paul actually exhorted the church in some places to hold on to the traditions that he had delivered to them. So I'm not saying that all traditions are wrong, but I am saying traditions of men are wrong when they are used as a as a uh, divine revelation, according to men, that's not found in the Bible. And so that's the choice that Paul gives us in, in chapter 2, verse 8. He says you can either choose tradition of men or you can choose Christ. And so it, uh, is it your tradition that we're holding on to or is it the Christ? Now, I go to different places and people really get upset about their traditions if you violate them. Uh, I've gone into churches before, and I've preached and opened my Bible to the New King James Version, which is the one I'm using this morning, and I've been called the next day and said, you can't preach that here. You can't read out of that here. We, we use the King James Version only. They think that Jesus uh, toted the King James Version. 
And, and if that didn't make you laugh, you, then I need, you, you need to think about it because nobody had a King James or any other version in the New Testament. Okay? Uh, so it's, it's not about a way. Paul's writing to them and says, you Colossians, you may have done it certain ways in the past, but it's not a way. It's the way. How many knows who, who the way is? It's not about the principles of the world, but he said it's about a person and his name is Jesus. And let me tell you something. Just because something is old... Uh, just because we've done it a certain way for a long time doesn't mean it's correct. Now, in our world that you and I live in, people tout, they, they brag about the length of a business. And I'm not saying this is evil now, so don't miss the point. But they'll say, this bank, we've been, in a, we've been a bank since 1880. And, and they want you to trust them because they've been a bank since 1880. So they feel like if they've been in business that long, God be, you know, done something right. That may or may not be true. Okay, but just because something is old or we've done it that way for an awfully long time does not mean it's correct. It's not how old something is that matters, but it's rather how biblical something is is what really matters. The church is it's not that the church doesn't do what God says. It's just that when God does say something to the church, we do what he says too long. That is normally the era of the church. Did you hear what I said? It's not that we don't do what God says. We just do it too long. The example of that is God spoke to Moses, Old Testament, in the wilderness. And they're being led through the wilderness and fiery, poisonous, viper serpents are biting them. Now God chose to speak to Moses and he told Moses to make a brazen serpent. Anybody remembers this? And it's in Numbers 21, we won't go there. But he says, make this brass serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up, and tell all the people to look to that brass serpent. And if they look upon that serpent, all that look upon it shall be healed. So Moses, who they knew had a relationship with God, uh, he does what God says. He commissions this to be constructed. And, and so the people look upon that brass serpent. Now, who was that brass serpent representing? Jesus. Now, some people say the devil because it was a serpent. No, no. Him who knew no sin became what? Sin. So it was a perfect depiction of Jesus becoming sin, the serpent, and being lifted up on a cross, on a pole. Okay? So it was a type, typology, it was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? And so that was a wonderful thing. And you know what? It worked in that moment for those people in that generation. Okay? But here's what the church does. 500 years later, they're still dragging that brass serpent around, they have made an idol out of it, and the Bible says they are burning incense unto it. They are worshiping it. Many churches worship their styles. They worship how they do what they do. Some of you can't worship unless it's just right. But the right is your right. See, I've gone to Zona Maya, into the jungle where the Mayan Indians are, and I, I can worship with them. I didn't know a thing they were saying, but the Spirit's the same. Standing on the dirt floor in a, in a, in a thatch, it really gives you the imagery of a, what you consider to be a missions trip. But, but my, all I knew is when they started singing in that Mayan language, tears started running down my face because of the presence of the Lord, and I began to worship with them. No instruments, no music. No bug spray for the mosquitoes that was biting me. The heat was horrendous. No air conditioner. No padded pew. 
No Patty Pew. But, but, and, and, and worship for hours. Because it's not about a way, it's about Yahweh. <laughs> you catch that? So 500 years later, God raises up another man of God named Hezekiah. And God says, I want you to destroy that brass serpent. Imagine having that ministry. I have that ministry. Seriously. I don't know how many over the, all these 30-something years, prophets have called me out in different places and said, God says the anointing of Hezekiah is upon you. So what I do, a lot of what I do is tear up the church's brass serpents they're worshiping. That's my assignment. Welcome to Grace Point. Hallelujah. Because he says they have, in 2 Kings, he, Hezekiah destroys it and grinds it to powder. Can you imagine putting your hands on something and destroying it when Moses built it? They would fight you. They said, don't you touch this man, Moses. God told Moses to build this. He did for that generation. See, we don't understand that even though God never changes in who he is, his character, his attributes, his holiness, none of that. But God's methodology changes constantly. What God will do in one generation, what he will use, how he will approach in one generation will not suit all generations. That's the point here. And so now they're dragging this thing around and they're worshiping it, but nobody's getting healed. Nobody's getting saved. Why do we keep doing the same? A fisherman has better sense than that. I mean, change the bait after a while if you're not catching nothing. Change the lure. Change the spot. But the church, we just keep sitting there and never catching nothing. Nobody getting saved in our church. Church is not growing. Things, people are not being delivered and set free. Marriages are not being healed. Sick bodies are not being made whole. And we just keep doing the same old dead thing every week, every week, every week. I'm preaching now. Y'all ain't saying nothing, but I'm preaching anyway. God says that he told him to destroy it because it's become neheshtan. That's what the Bible calls it, which means just a piece of brass. To God... See, when you start worshiping the way you do something, more than the God behind it, it becomes religion, and it loses its power. What is a tradition anyway? Tradition is a doctrine, a teaching, believed to have divine authority, although it's not in the Bible. And man, there are many of them circulating in the church. Uh, Jesus spoke about traditions that, that he was against in Mark chapter 7, he said that you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And then down in verse 13 of Mark 7, he said that you make the word of God of no effect. How can you make the word of God of no effect, no power in your life? He says through your tradition you've handed down. He said you have held on more. I have, I have literally, I'm not making this up. I have heard leaders say in other churches, I don't care what the Bible says. See, some don't get offended now, I'm going but some people, in other words, they are more Baptist than they are Jesus' disciples. They say, well, I'm Baptist. They don't, nothing else matters. They're just Baptist. They cannot even be a Christian as long as they're Baptist. Or Methodist. Or Church of God. Well, I'm Pentecostal. Well, you don't even know what the word means. Because the word Pentecost just means 50. So you're probably lying. You're probably not 50. <laughs> See, when you're saying, I'm Pentecostal, you're saying, I'm 50. That's what you're saying. Now, I understand where we get it from because on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church. I understand that. But now we take that because we, we love to receive labels 
I mean, everybody at the bank is an executive vice president, except the poor tellers on the front line. Everybody else is a vice president. If you don't believe it, let them take their card. And I'm, don't get mad at me if you work at the bank. I don't know where you work. I don't know nothing about it. I'm saying we love titles. Apostle Dale. It's really not Apostle Dale. It's Dale and Apostle. Nowhere in the Bible is the Apostle Paul ever called Apostle Paul. Isn't that eye-opening? Never. Now, don't go on a nutcase and go make, you know, get nutty on me, okay? So it's not that if you say that, I'm going to think you're saying, okay, I mean, I'm not trying to be foolish. I'm just trying to make a point that we, 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 get, we get title hungry. Title hungry. Some churches and some groups are worse than others, you know. But it was always Paul said Paul, and then he would call an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd always say, I'm Paul. And my job description is I'm an apostle. Well, I have the gift of the Spirit. I have this gift. I, I have the, well, I don't know if you do. The gift probably has you. I don't think you have the gift. I think the gift has you. Well, I'm going, anyway. He said, don't let anyone cheat you. Cheat you from what? Point number two. Cheat you by telling you you are not complete in him. So point number two is you are, as a believer, complete in him. So no more double portion prayer lines. Because you can't get a double portion of full. Paul says in verse 9 and 10 of Colossians 2, For in him, Christ, dwells, not visits, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, and, and if that wasn't clear enough, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, if he's the head of all principality and power, that means there is, none, there's none, there is no more principality and power. In fact, in Colossians 2, he says he pulls down, he's pulled down and made a public spectacle on the cross of all principalities and powers, and he disarmed them. And we got Christians going on prayer walks trying to pull down a principality in some country or some place. Every time I say that, a holy hush falls over the crowd. I'm not saying that there can't be people that will yield themselves to the devil and thereby manifest junk. But Jesus did not leave any demon undefeated on the cross. He did not leave any principality or power in power. All power, he said, in heaven and earth has been given unto me. All power. So if Jesus has all power, what, how much power does the, does the devil have? None. But don't ask the average Christian how much he has because they'll, they got a big devil and a little Jesus. Come on now. Now, see, you, you, you're complete in him. You don't, you don't have to become a, a Christian and then later, you know, get another blessing. Uh, you, you've been given his fullness, not his halfness. You have the fullness of God. You're complete in him. What does that mean to be complete in him? It means the shopping's over. The search is over. You don't have to get in nobody's line for what you didn't get the first time. Second Peter 1 and 3 says, that, And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If God has given us all things, then what are you looking for? Now see, you have to understand where that resides in you, in your spirit, your born-again spirit. 
So I know I beat this drum a lot. Forgive me, but not really. So the church prays for what we already have. We pray for the mind of Christ. Paul says you have it. We pray for the anointing. Oh, God, please anoint us to sing, anoint us to preach, anoint us to be a housewife, anoint us on this business deal. You're already anointed. Paul said three times in the New Testament, you have received an anointing. But we don't believe the Bible, so we pray and ask God for what he already has given us. I might as well go ahead and pull the grenade and throw this one. This one's going to go down like a rat sandwich. We pray for the Holy Spirit. A lot of churches call it the second blessing. And you wonder why people, they, they spend years, some of them, praying for the, for the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They pray for all these things. When the Bible says this, I don't, know what, I don't know if you like the Bible, but this is what it says in Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now let me ask you this, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a spiritual blessing? Is it a spiritual blessing? Well, what are you seeking for then? What, what are you seeking for? You down here seeking for tongues? I just read to you that every spiritual blessing you will ever need has already been given to you. And when you got Jesus, listen to me, Pentecostal charismatic raised folk. When you got Jesus, you didn't get Jesus and not get the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that anybody who does not have the Holy Spirit is none of his. So there's not having Jesus and I'm saved, but I don't have the Holy Spirit, and now I'm going to seek for the second blessing, which is the Holy Spirit. That's all religion. None of that is in the Bible. All these people you read about in Acts that is getting filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues are lost people. Cornelius' house, they're all lost as a goose. And if you have to ask God to baptize you with the Holy Ghost to have it, then God messed up in Acts 10 because the Holy Spirit just fell upon all of them that were in the house. Nobody asked for him. Nobody had to get in the prayer line for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Nobody had to have somebody tapping you on the jaw or saying, say hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Zuki, shoot a mosquito, Honda, you know, whatever. Yamaha, Yamaha. Listen, you don't know me. I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul said it. I think I do. Maybe Ben and Liz might speak in tongues more. I don't know. I believe in praying with the gift of, of tongues. The, the, the beautiful prayer language that God has given me. Listen, me, listen to me, dear ones. I don't want to make this my whole message, but, and I know I'm shocking some of you. If you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit without having everything the Holy Spirit has. See, so if you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and you seek one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, then you're actually saying God didn't give it to you. See, the gift has you more than you have it. See, what we need is I yield myself to the Holy Spirit that's within me. And whatever gift that is most needed at that moment, 
God, God's got enough sense to know that if you're standing there for a miracle, the gift of healing can come forth. But it's, not, it's called a gift. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts. If it's a gift, you didn't earn it. If it's a gift, you didn't ask for it. I understand that you have to appropriate the gift by faith. I understand that. But I'm saying you're not the initiator. God initiated. You didn't talk God into creating this thing called salvation. God's the initiator. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You, you don't have to beg God to do what he chose to do before you was even on the earth. God don't need your permission to forgive you. God's already forgiven everybody. The, the question is not will God forgive me. The question is will you receive the forgiveness of God? Because God has forgiven the world of their sin. I'm getting ahead of myself. None of that's in the notes. I should have left that out, Max. I'm just saying if you would yield and relax and just say, God, I thank you that you have given me your Holy Spirit when I was born again. Thank you for that. And since I have the Holy Spirit within me by the new birth, then, Lord, I yield myself to everything the Holy Spirit has for me. And I yield myself and I just begin to, to pray in this prayer language that you've granted to me. See, the, the, the reason it's been so hard all these years to try to get people filled with the Holy Spirit, because they already have it. And the reason so many people get discouraged, listen to me. I have prayed with many people that were suicidal. Now, you're going to think I'm lying here and exaggerating. I, I, I assure you I'm not. I, many Christians that, that over the, all these 30-something years I've been in preaching have been suicidal because they couldn't speak in tongues, they said. Or because that they thought they sought God for the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, and they didn't get it. So in other words, God chose to give it to this person, but he didn't choose it to give it to them. So then they, then they go on a tangent. Well, I must have got some sin in there that's the reason God won't give it to me. That means you don't believe that Jesus' blood took care of sin on the cross. See how messed up all this gets? Or then, then you carry it to the extreme level, which is I must have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And then I get them into prayer lines that I, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Why do you think you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Because God won't fill me with the Holy Spirit. I, I've never prayed in tongues. You don't have to pray in tongues to go to heaven. I, I'm just going to tell you, you don't have to pray in tongues. And if, you, and if you speak in tongues every day, and there's another believer that don't ever speak in tongues, you're, the, the tongue talker is not holier or more righteous or closer to God or anything than a person that's never said any, you know, boo in tongues. So you just need to knock it off because there's no first, second, third class Christians. You, you, you know, you're either born again or you're not. Period. This ain't Delta. This ain't first class, coach, you know, I mean, no. Baggage, no. Everybody's in first class. Everybody's born of the blood of Jesus. Everybody has the, every, everything that everybody else has. Jesus gives it all. He, you, you, you've got the fullness of God. Just yield to it. Thank you, Lord. And if you'll do that. See, all over and over I read the, 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 the Holy Spirit just fell upon him. Even Peter, when that happened to him at Cornelius' house, it just freaked him out, really. I mean, it really did. He's this Jew in the house of these Gentiles. But, and, and it says, in Acts 10, it says, and when he, Peter spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them. You look up one verse, what were these words? You know what he told them? He said, all of you that believe are forgiven of all sin. 
Don't you think God, God decided when he's going to fall on them? God said, I. And so when Peter said, you're all forgiven, and nobody's in there has even asked for forgiveness. He said, you're all forgiven. Then when Peter had spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they began to speak in tongues and praise and magnify God. Isn't that, don't that mess up folks' little one, two, three theories? Because you've got to be saved, then you've got to get sanctified, and then you get filled with the Holy Ghost. We used to have prayer uh, testimonies, you know. They don't do that no more in church because it's called praise the devil time. But, um, but we would have it in our church when I was a young, young guy, and we would have testimony night, usually on Wednesday night, and they would start off and stand up and say, well, Pastor, I'd like to thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, that's good, I believe. But you had to get it in that order. God messed up again. Acts 10, before they're even good and saved, they're speaking in tongues. First thing that you see visible is their tongue talking, and they ain't even saved yet. I guess. Wink, wink. Well, they got it all at one time, Brother Dale. So did you. So did you. You may not be manifesting everything, but you received everything. You received the fullness of Christ. You got the fullness of God. Don't get in nobody's double portion prayer line. Well, you know, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to lay hands and you'll get a double. I'm on a double portion, Brother Dale. Ah! That makes for good showmanship, but it is theologically lunacy. And I used to participate in it. I used to not only get in the lines for the double portion, I used to hold the lines when I started preaching, I would say, what, what do you want from the Lord tonight? This was a, what do you want from the Lord tonight? I said, I want a double portion, Brother Dale. I said, well, lift your hands and believe God. <laughs> a lot of times they'd hit the deck, boy. And when they would fall down, it made me feel like I'm really anointed. You see her fall? I'm anointed. I believe in falling. I believe in all this stuff. I was preaching in a Methodist church. I'm going to say the name because it's, it, I wanted to. I was preaching in a Methodist church years ago. The reason I got in a Methodist church, because I don't get in a lot of Methodist churches. Don't get a lot of invitation to Methodist churches. But I was in a, in a Pentecostal church. I don't, I don't want to get too, too specific here. But I was in a Pentecostal church, and I got up to preach one night, and I looked to my right, and sitting on the end of the pew was a young lady looked to be around 30 years of age, just guessing. The reason she caught my attention is because God drew my attention to her. She was sitting by herself. Nobody else even on the pew. God has never hardly done this to me, but the Lord spoke to me, I believe, with all my heart, I believe this. And he said, pray for the woman. Now, not after I preach. And my custom is always after I preach. Word goes forth and pray. So I just said, ma'am, would you come? I said, now kind of, you know, ma'am, no, you. I said, ma'am, would it be all right if I prayed with you before I preach tonight? She nodded. She stepped out in the aisle. Now, she's walking down front. Now, if you don't want to, the gifts to operate takes faith. Not foolishness, but faith. So while she's walking down front, inside, I'm going, what is it, Father? Please, what is it? Because all I know is she's coming front. I have no clue why, why God wants me to pray for her. But she's walking down front. And, and it, you know, and so here's my, here's my go-to. If God don't say nothing by the time she gets in my three-foot of personal space, I'm just going to say, Lord, you know, bless her or something. Because she's blessed anyway, so I'll be right on tune with the Holy Ghost on that. Well, Lord, what's one, you know, whatever. As soon as she stepped in my, what I call three foot of personal space, I heard one word by the Spirit, infirmity. 
Now, I'm being gut level honest with you. I didn't ask her, did she have an infirmity? You know why? Because I was afraid she'd tell you, say no, and that would make me really look bad in front of all those people. That's as honest as you get it right there. Okay? So I want God to use me, and I want to yield to the Lord, but I still have some chicken feathers every now and then. They're not all eagle feathers yet. Okay? So you don't have to be a raging eagle for the Lord to use you. You can be a weak person like me, and the Lord can still use you if you yield to him. Because it's not by your might, nor by your power, nor your intelligence, but it's by his spirit. So I, I, said, I said, I believe the Lord says you have an infirmity. And, and I didn't call, listen, and no offense to the church, and that's why I'm not even going to tell the air. But in this Pentecostal church, I did not call for the saints to come down there because they would have tackled that woman. I called them the bulldog church. Because they'll get a hold of you and they'll, Ugh. And, boy, they're going to pray. And one of them will be on one side hollering, turn loose, brother. And then on this side, there'll be another person, hold on, hold on. You don't know what to turn loose or hold on. <laughs> and then they'll, they'll be rocking your head and pushing on your head and your forehead. And she can move shundai, untie my bow tie. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and I'm, so I wasn't going to put her through that. So I didn't call for anybody to come and assist me. I just said, the Lord says infirmity. And I just laid my hands very gently on her forehead. I said, be healed, sister, in the name of Jesus. She didn't fall down. She didn't cry. I felt nothing. Apparently, she didn't feel anything. And she went back and sat on the end of the pew. Just a few days later, I get a call from a pastor. And uh, he says, Brother Young, this is Pastor so-and-so. I wonder if you would come run us a revival at such and such such Methodist church. I'm thinking, now why is this Methodist church calling them in? Never even heard of them. Never even. Anyway, but I felt the Lord said to go, so I went. So I go to this Methodist church and, 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 and you know, to run the revival. The first night I'm there, I'm sitting on the pew, and the woman gets up to do a special sing, very traditional choir sing and so forth. No, I'm not against it. I love it. Hello. She sings a special she's going to. She says, I want to give a word of testimony. I was thinking she looked familiar, but I meet a lot of people. And she says, I was in Brother Young's revival a, uh, a week or so ago at such and such church. And he called, and she said, and y'all know, and her, this is her church family that we're in, Methodist. And y'all know that the doctors had diagnosed me with breast cancer. And I was going in the next morning for surgery. And she said that Brother Young called me out to the front. And he said that the Lord showed him an infirmity. And it, he said, be healed. And I went in for my surgery, but there was nothing to do surgery on for all the tumors and everything was gone in my breast, totally healed by the power of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Now I knew why I was in the Methodist church. Because when the power of God shows up, they don't care if you're Episcopalian, Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God, they don't care. They're just hungry for God. So their little lady, their, their, their young woman in their church, who they all loved, got healed. And somehow it's connected to this crazy guy here, so we want him to come here. We don't care what he is. I can't tell you the liberty and the freedom I had in the spirit realm to minister in that place. My wife was there with me, just tremendous. So I was able to, to preach and to do all these things in, in the name of the Lord. Wednesday night of that week, I called, I was preaching, and I got, really, I was about halfway through the sermon, but I felt the Lord said, pray for the pastor. He was sitting on the front pew. Pray for the pastor now. So I said, brother so-and-so, would you come? I just, want to, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you right now. And he just stood right there in the center, and I, and, I, and I just laid my hands on him. Really didn't even get to say a prayer. And when I laid my hands, shocking to me, 
He went down like he shot him with a 30 out six or something. I mean, he, he, I, no catchers. I would have got him a catcher if I knew that was going to happen. Get him a catcher. You know what I mean? But some of you don't. I mean, he hit the floor like boom. I mean, he's on the floor before I even realized. And as soon as his back hit the floor, very loudly, he's speaking in tongues. Now, this man here, he knows, he, he, knows, he knows stuff. So he knows what I'm talking about. He knows. In this particular church that he's familiar with, they have in their bylaws that if you speak in tongues, you have to surrender your membership. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So here God, apparently God hadn't read their bylaws. <laughs> apparently God didn't know it was a Methodist church. He thought I was in the Pentecostal church or something. Maybe he wasn't paying attention that night. I don't know. The guy hits the ground loudly in tongues. When he gets up from, from you know, he gets up. We, we help him up after a few, a little, little bit. And he asks for the mic. It's his church. I'm there to serve. Sure. So the mic goes to him. He turns around and faces his congregation, tears streaming down his face. He says, church, I want to, this is how he said it. But he said, I want to repent to you. I need to repent to you, church. This is, this is exact words. I don't remember everything he said. I do remember this. He said, I have not done with the healing message what I should have done with it as a pastor. And I have deprived you. Not only you, myself. I ask for your forgiveness. He was crying when he said this. And you could feel that brokenness in the church. You know you've been there when you just feel like everybody, it's just like we're all one big thing of jello. Everybody loves everybody. Like Your heart's so soft and broken. The people begin to spontaneously get up, come up there and hug him. And they're crying, he's crying. And I just sat down over there on the platform and watched God just melt a church together. Now, I love to tell you that things just went wonderful after that. But because they had a demonic government in place, did you say demonic? Yes. I've been in deacon-possessed churches. Give me a demon-possessed church anytime. I can cast out demons. You can't cast out deacons. You have to vote them out. I wish I could really elaborate right there. But too many people listen to the podcast. It's never my intention or heart to hurt anybody. Sometimes people do things out of ignorance. Sometimes they do things out of intentionality. And later on, they, you know, he didn't get to stay there. We'll just say it that way. You know, because if you speak in tongues, you have to relinquish your membership. I guess that includes the pastor too, right? What a dumb rule to have. I think there's a verse in the Bible. Some of y'all help me because I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, you know, something. It might be 2 Thessalonians. But it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. Anybody read that one? Anybody read that size of me? It's in there. Forbid not. So if it says in the Bible, forbid not, why would you put that in your bylaws? You see, none of that has nothing to do with my notes. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in other words, the gift of the language of speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift. All I'm saying, and I've got to get off of this, but many of you have sought the Lord for years, some of you. 
and you think God's overlooked you. you. You think God's mad with you. You think there's something wrong with you. And I know a lot of people will disagree with what I've just said, especially Pentecostal charismatic people, because they see it as a second or third blessing. But I just read you the Bible that said that when you got Christ, God has already in the past tense blessed you with all spiritual blessings. And I asked you, was the Holy Spirit and that gift, was that a spiritual blessing? And you said it was. So that means if it was, then you already have it in the past. You may not be manifesting it. You may, you may not be yielded yourself to it. But God did not give you, uh, leave you with a deficit or deficiency. God put in you, in Christ, everything you would ever need. And I know that goes against some folks' tradition. And I mean for it to. Because I don't want another person in this room or on this podcast listening to me suffering thinking that you're less than, that somehow that God loves someone else more than you, and that's why he's done this and that. No, 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 not, not at all. You've been given all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. By the way, you won't find anybody in the New Testament, not any apostle, ever praying for more of God. You ever hear that? We just need more of you, Lord. No, you don't. You can't get any more than you got. Well, I just want to be closer to the Lord. You can't get any closer. You're not going to make me have to do this again, are you? You, you can't get any closer. I know the preacher told you to draw, come up, y'all, let's pray. You know, because the Bible told us that if we would draw near to God, he'd draw near to us. So what did he just tell you? You're not near. He just told you you're not near. How do you get near? You have to pray. There goes a rule. You have to do something to get near because you're not near. And you know you're not near because you don't feel near. You're not feeling good. You feel like, Lord, I feel like you're a thousand miles away. He's further than that. <laughs> Do you know where God is? Do you know why you bow your head when you pray? So you can look him in the eyes. Because God's right there. That's where God is. God ain't in heaven. I thought you said you invited him into your heart. I thought you said he lives within you. Well, why are you thinking, why are you turning around now and telling me that he's, he's up there at a planet called heaven? See how religious minds just get scrambled like eggs? Man, it's quiet in here. I'm trying to help you. If you're born again, God's in you. He'll never leave you. I don't care if you feel him or not. He's there. He's not a liar. He, he, he's in you. He's for you. He's with you. He's there. And, and, if, and if he's there at all, you have the fullness. You have to learn to yield. So I used to beg God. I would go on fast for the anointing. I don't pray for the anointing anymore, ever. I just say, Lord, I thank you that I have received an anointing from the Holy One. That, Lord, you have granted me an unction from the Holy Spirit of God, and I thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray that this morning as I stand before Grace Point, that you will help me to yield myself to that great anointing. That's, that's my prayer now. See how easy that was? You see, my confidence is not in my prayer now. And it's not in Dale, but it's in him. That makes me smile. That makes me feel light, not a heavy burden. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come on now. Number three, point number three, you have a new heart, a new nature. Colossians 2 and 11 says, 
In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, if, it, if you got a heart circumcision made without hands, who did it? Jesus did. By putting off what? The body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Right there. Jesus did. This is a circumcision by Christ. Now, listen. Buried with him in baptism. When you see the word baptism here, it has nothing to do with water. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, if you were buried with him, then you were also raised with him. Okay? Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, listen to me. For years, I thought I possessed two natures on the inside of myself. I thought that these two natures I had were always in constant conflict with each other and that I needed to deny one and feed the other, like starve a cold, feed a fever, or however that goes, you know. And so I felt like I had this war within me, and that's how most Christians live their life. And, 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 but let me say something. Your heart is not a duplex. You, you don't have a duplex apartment with you know, God in one apartment and the devil in the other. No, no. Uh, uh, you know, your heart has been circumcised. You, uh, your loving father, listen, he, he would not place you in such a hopeless condition. If that was true, you would be set up for constant failure. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me real good now. The expression sinful nature. Now most Christians, th th these are all sermons within each point, but the, the, most Christians have been taught that you have a sinful nature. And to prove that, they point to your sin. And I can see why they come up with that, but it's not in the Bible. The expression sinful nature or sin nature does not occur in the Bible. Not in the King James or the New King James. Now, now listen carefully, listen. If you're sitting there with a New International Version, I'm not telling you to go burn it and throw it in the trash can. But the New International Version translation of the Bible over 50 times uses the phrase sinful nature. Very bad translation. It's a Greek word, sarx, S-A-R-X, is the Greek word that they're translating sinful nature, and that word just means flesh. So those translators, if you've got an NIV, can you imagine reading that? Over 50 times you get inundated with sin nature, sinful nature, sin nature, sinful nature. That's wrong theology. The Bible never says you have a sin nature. In fact, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that now you've been made a partaker of his divine nature. You have now the divine nature. It's not your nature to sin any longer. You, you have the capacity to sin. You don't have the capacity to enjoy it. You have been born again. It's not who you are. And so why do so many Christians struggle to receive grace and, the, and to live the Christian life victoriously? Because really for two reasons. First, they don't properly value the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You hear me say it all the time. But secondly, they don't know what happened to them themselves on the cross. Listen, most Christians know that Jesus died for them. They do not know that Jesus died as them. They do not know that they themselves died on that cross. They themselves were buried with Christ. They themselves were raised up with Christ. And so Romans 6 and 6 says that, knowing this, Paul says. The reason we, this was one of his favorite expressions, knowing this. He'd done it all through Romans and all through all of his epistles, knowing this. So Romans 6 is, says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, was crucified with him. If you were crucified, what were you crucified on? What, what, can you be crucified on a 55 Chevrolet? No, it has to be on the cross, right? There's a point to this. 
So if you're going to be crucified, you have to be crucified on a cross. A crucifix is a cross, right? So you and I were crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Next time you're in a funeral home, please don't walk up to the casket where the dead person is and, and, and invite them to go sinning with you and see how that works out. Ask them to smoke a doobie with you or something. I mean, they're not going to do it. Why not? Why not, not they're because they're dead. Dead people don't do that. We'll say, well, I, that, that's silly. That don't make sense. It ain't supposed to be his faith. The Bible says reckon yourself as dead. Dead to sin, alive to God. And see, well, where does all this confusion come? Let me tell you, I'm going to hit this one. I've never hit this one before that I don't think here, but there's so much confusion about the cross. And this is, you hear this all the time. You need to die daily. You need to die to self. You need to die daily. You need to die to self. You just need to die to self. All that's not true. Now, first off, Paul used that expression one time, and that's got nothing to do with self-denial. He did that in 1 Corinthians 15. And all Paul is saying there, he's arguing with them about the resurrection because they don't believe. And all he does is he says, listen, I die daily. In other words, he's saying, I put my life on the line every day. He said, and right in the next verse, he said, the beast of Ephesus have come against me. Paul's saying, I put my life literally on the line every day. I die every day. I get killed every day. That's all. It has nothing to do with self-denial. So where does all the confusion come from? People take Jesus' words that he said in Luke 9, 23. He also said these same words in Mark and in Matthew. And, but he said them differently here in Luke. But in, in Luke 9, 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, when the legalist and the religious person reads that, they go, Jesus is teaching self-denial. And so Jesus is teaching self-denial as a way to get more right with God. I told you a while ago, you can't get closer to God because when that preacher said, the Bible says, draw near and he'll draw near to you, that verse in James, that verse says, read all the verse then. When it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near, that is very true. But look who he's talking to. He says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Sure, sinners are not close to God. They're not children of God. They're far from God. And then in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that you who were far off, you who are away from God, you who were outside the family of God, outside the commonwealth of the blessings of God, you now, all of you who were that way, who were lost and without hope in this world, now you have all been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is what makes you near. It's not my praying, Bible reading, church attendance. None of that makes me near to God. There's one thing that makes you near to God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And if the blood makes you near, then you can't be unnear. You may feel unnear, but you're not. Stop going by what you feel. Go by faith. Go by the Word of God. Y'all okay? So, is Jesus really teaching self-denial as a way of righteousness and holiness? No, of course not. This is the way we're taught. Following Christ, man, it's all about self-denial, brother. You, you know, going without. And listen, if you're not in the daily habit of denying your appetites and your fleshly desires, then you're not a real Christian. You're not close to the Lord. And the more you deny yourself, the holier you will be. 
I was raised on that theology right there. What a terrible. Because the, 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 the big problem with that interpretation is Ephesians 4.24 is against it. I love Ephesians 4.24. I use it often. Paul said, put on the new man. Remember I told you you're new? Who was, past tense, created. How was it created? According to God. That, that blows my mind. When you got born again, you were made like God. According to God. In true righteousness and holiness. Let me tell you something. Self-denial won't make you righteous and holy, but it will make you religious. Huh? You know what it does? It promotes self-righteousness. You ever see these shows, DIY? What does that stand for? DIY. What does that stand for? We got DIY religiosity. Do-it-yourself Christianity. I'll make myself holy. I'll make myself righteous. I'll, I'll, I'll make God accept me. No, you won't. If God accepts you, he'd be rejecting his son in his sacrifice based on your performance. Self-denial, I mean, how are you going to win that? It leaves, you know what it does? It leaves you anxious, fearful, insecure. Why? Because you never know if you've denied yourself enough. I mean, you can never know. You, so, so I don't know if I've denied myself enough, so guess what? I better deny myself even more just to be safe. And it never ends. It's the hamster on the wheel thing. Listen to what Colossians 2.20 says. Therefore... If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourself to the regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. You ever heard the do nots? Which all concern, listen, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Whoo! That would tear up some religion right there. Your rule book, do not handle, do not touch, do not, none of that has any value, Paul said. No value. What was Jesus saying? When he said, take up the cross, and what, was, what would he mean, Brother Dale? He was saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He, he was saying, let me say it like this. My righteousness is his righteousness. My holiness is his holiness. Follow me. My cross is his cross. So when he tells me to take up my cross daily, it's not Dale's cross. It's his cross. Because his righteousness is my righteousness. His holiness is my holiness. And his cross has become my cross. So I take up that cross daily and I follow the Lord. No confidence in my cross, my sacrifice, my self-denial, my religiosity. My confidence is in Jesus. His cross, his blood, his sacrifice. Whoo! I've been crucified with Christ. If I've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, then I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We, we don't die daily. We die once. You don't get born again daily. You get born again once. But every day, I do make a decision. Will I walk after the flesh or will I go after the spirit? Will I walk in the power of my power or will I walk in the power of his cross? Will I take up my cross, which is his cross, and follow him? 
That's what I'm going to do every day. I'm not going to depend on Dale. Last point, number four. You don't need more forgiveness. Some of you come today, you've already prayed, you've asked God to forgive you. During the worship, whatever, please don't get mad. You asked God to forgive you because you felt like you needed more forgiveness. Now you feel better because you've asked God to forgive you and you try somehow trust that he has. But when you come back next Sunday, you'll need more forgiveness. And when you come back next Sunday, you'll need, and you know, and I would just dare to say that probably between now and Sunday, you'll need some forgiveness. So you, maybe you'll pray for it Monday. Maybe you get mad Tuesday and cuss somebody out, cuss them in, cuss them out, whatever you want to do. And then, you, you know, so, you know, that's wrong. So you ask God to forgive you for that because that was being, you know, you need to ask the person you, forgive, you cussed out to forgive you. But you don't have to ask Jesus because he's already forgiven you. I never get more flack over anything other than the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. Colossians 2.13. And you, now that you know that you're dead, being dead in your trespasses and uns the uncircumcision of your flesh. Listen. He has made a life together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having forgiven you how many trespasses? Trespasses is the same word as sin. How many did he forgive you of? All. Does all mean all? I've done an extensive, deep theological study of the word all. You know what I found out? It means all. Yeah, it means all. We need more forgiveness. Come and get more forgiveness this week. Come back next week. You'll need more forgiveness. Just keep coming back. No, no. Jesus said, listen, Jesus has already given you all the forgiveness that you will ever need. When did he forgive you? 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, when did you receive that forgiveness? Whenever you put your trust in that sacrifice. And when you did that one thing, he forgave you of all your sins, the one you hadn't even committed yet. I have to say it for some visitors. Well, I don't believe in forgiveness of future sins where you're lost. And we're waiting on Jesus to come back a second time to get on a cross and shed more blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So if you're saying to me that when Jesus shed his blood 2,000 years ago, it didn't include all your sins because the ones you hadn't even done yet, then Jesus has to come back and shed more blood. Or if you claim to be saved today, how many of your sins were future 2,000 years ago when he was crucified? And now you're going to tell me you don't believe in future sins, forgiveness? Come on, man. You're smarter than that, right? He forgives of all sin. All means all. Hebrews 9 and 10, he, there, over and over. He says he removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. When is the last time you saw the east and the west intersect? They would have to intersect before your sins would ever be unforgiven. How forgiven does that sound like? He saw all your sin. He's forgiven you. God has a, no record of your sin. Listen to me. Your sin account always carries a zero balance. Even right after you've sinned, it still has a zero balance. Now, here it comes. So you're just saying to go sin. Did you hear me say that, Taterhead? No, I didn't say that. That's where, you, that's where your mind goes because you want to. Get your, get your mind out of religion and back in the Bible. And you'll just say, wow, thank you, Jesus. You won't go, wow, I can go sin. You'll go, wow, thank you, Jesus. Jesus has already forgiven you of everything. The Bible says in verse 13 that Jesus did two things. He made us alive in him, and he forgave you of all your sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God did it. It wasn't your prayers that made him do it. He did it. Not imputing their trespasses to them, not counting their sins against them. If somebody don't impute it into your account, they don't credit you for it, you don't get it. God said, I don't count your sins against you anymore. David foresaw that 
new covenant, and he was so excited. In Psalm 32, he said, Blessed is a man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. David was longing to live in that new covenant with God. Now listen to me. When you start praying, this is how most Christians pray, and I'm almost done. Most Christians pray like this. They'll bow their heads. Please don't get mad at me. I love you, okay? That's why I'm telling you the truth. They'll pray and they'll say, Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. Because they've been taught, to, you know, that's how you start it. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, sins I've committed. And then if you, if you think of sins, then you tell them. Like, forgive me for cussing that guy, but he can't drive. But I shouldn't have cussed him like that. So, Lord, please forgive me for that. And then the devil's there to help you. The devil. And the devil reminds you of sin, and he says, and this one. And you go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I, 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 I did, yeah, I forgot. And so then I, gotta, then I confess that one. And the devil goes, and this one. And then for long, the list just, and you spend 30 minutes confessing your sins. And then that's the ones you've committed. And then you have to cover the old sins of omission, you know, the ones I don't even, I sinned and I didn't know it. And then you, you try to get yourself to, you know, to the, to, to the end. I'll come away from here so y'all know I'm really mean. I'm, I'm going to quit. This is how I was raised on the ACTS model. ACTS, A-C-T-S. Anybody heard of that besides me? I know. So ACTS, you, you take the word ACTS and you, that's how you approach God. So A is for adoration. This is where I really butter God up because I'm going to hit him for some requests, so I got to make him feel good, you know, like, you know, like ACTS, I, I adore you, Lord. You're the greatest. You're wonderful. I, I give you praise. So Acts, A, what's our next letter? C, confession. I confess my sins. Because if you don't clean the deck off, God don't hear nothing you say after that. That's what I was taught. So if you don't ask forgiveness, then it don't do you no good to say nothing else because he don't hear nothing. Because you got to get all the deck cleaned off before he's going to listen to you. So I confess my sins. I confess all the sins that I can remember. I just confess them all. A-C-T. Now, uh, so now T is for Thanksgiving. Because there is a verse that says, enter the gates of Thanksgiving, of course. So now I just want to thank him, you know. So I'm really, got him, I'm really buttering him up now. So I told him that I adore him. I confessed all my sin. And now I'm thanking him. Because now I'm getting ready to hit him with the S, which is supplication. Now I'm going to get down. I need some stuff. And I, need to, I want him to feel real good that when I get to my list, you know, where he'll be more inclined to answer my prayer. That's how I was raised, by religion. And you were too. Now, you're going to really get mad with me, but I've already thrown several grenades today, so I might as well throw one more. I have one more sacred cow. I have one more neheshton to jump on. You're going to get really mad at me because you don't, un you don't understand. The Lord's Prayer is an Old Testament prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, oh, that's so sacred to touch you. And some of you pray that. I will never pray that prayer for myself. Because in that prayer, I'm asking God to forgive me. Number one, he already has. So I'm, I'm, I'm insinuating that he hadn't, that he's a liar. Number two, I'm asking him to forgive me just like I forgive Brother Ken. And so if I don't forgive Brother Ken, I'm asking God in that prayer not to forgive me. And, and, all, and don't you believe that all your prayers now should be prayed in the name of Jesus? I said, I, I want to know that you believe that. Well, the Lord's Prayer don't even have the name of Jesus in it. His name ain't even in it. You're not praying in the name of Jesus. His name doesn't appear nowhere in the Lord's Prayer. 
So you, you're saying you're agreeing and praying a prayer that's not even in the name of Jesus. Jesus told them later on, he said, he said, up to this point, you've asked nothing in my name. But after I leave here, you will ask in my name, and the Father will give you what you've asked in my name. That was a prayer under the old covenant. Lord, teach us to pray. Under the old covenant, that's how you pray. Eye for an eye. And in case they didn't understand it, when they got to the end of Matthew 6, when the Lord's Prayer, and they said, Amen, Jesus, the next verse says, And if you forgive not your brother their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. So he tagged and reemphasized the part in that prayer. Some of you have Matthew 18, you've been beat to death with. If you don't forgive others, then what the Lord will do is he'll turn you over to the tormentor. He'll turn you over to the tormentor, and you'll be tormented until you forgive. You kidding? God's already forgiven you. Some of you live, Holy Spirit's convicted me. I tell you, he got on me about that sin. You, you misunderstand. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say. Is the Holy Spirit God or not? If God keeps no record of sin, how's he reminding you of it? You think God's schizophrenic or something? Like, I will never hold any of your sins against you, nor will I keep a record of your sin, but the Holy Spirit is God, and so I'll remind you of your sins that I told you I won't keep a record of, but I'll remind you, and I'll convict you, which means convict, and I'll make you feel like a convict. No, that's the spirit of condemnation from the devil. Well, I think it says somewhere now, and I, don't, I have to get home and check this preacher out because I think he's got that wrong right Because I believe the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, he'll, you know, he, he'll convict of sin. It does say that. He'll convict the world of sin. And then Jesus' next verse explains what he meant because the world don't believe in him. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the word convict is the same word convince. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He convinces you that you're righteous. That's his ministry today to the saints is to convince you that you are the righteousness of God. Now to the lost people, he convicts them that Jesus died for them, that he, that he died for them because they yet don't believe in him. But in, in convicting don't mean condemning. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe upon him should not perish but have life everlasting. Nobody hardly goes to the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, his, that the world might be saved through him, through him. God is not here to condemn you. He's not saying go sin, it doesn't matter. I told you this the other day. They told Paul, you know, see, when I preach like this, I get lots of emails sometimes. Some, somebody sent something, they wrote me the other day, and they just said, yada, 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 yada. I, I've disciplined myself, except I failed one time, but I disciplined myself not to reply to this junk. But I so wanted to say, that's what a Pharisee says when they got no Bible to say nothing against what, the, what I said. And, and, and you know what I had said? That, boy, there's certain things that I say enrages people. These are good Christians. So they feel like it's their duty on Facebook to correct me. And I said, and I, I try to come up with titles for our blogs and stuff that will make people curious enough to read it. That's the only reason I'm doing that. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just trying to get their attention. 
So it ain't the average, everyday religious, this ain't your mama's teaching. You know, okay, you know, that kind of deal. And I, and I said, good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. Oh, good God. <laughs> Hell come with all its fury. And since I've gotten on Facebook, and I've wanted to leave it a thousand times, but I feel like I'm supposed to try to, make, try to use it. I believe Paul was alive, he would use it. And I don't mean no offense, and that's why I'm very careful. I, I don't want everyone to just call somebody out or something. I, it's not, I don't do that. But this past week, for example, I, I saw several times that people are posting pictures of these clouds. And it's, and, it, and it's very distinctive. If you look at these clouds, you can see four horses, you know. And they're warning us of the, the four horsemen of Revelation and the apocalypse and God's judgment on America for her sin. And just a little bit of research will let you see. And, like, and, like, and they just put it out this week on Facebook again uh, that, you know, God's warning us. He's trying to get our attention. And, he's, and I'm talking about you, you even see the bridle. That's a pretty detailed cloud there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, not only do you have a clear, distinct horse, and God could do that if he wanted to. But you even got the bridle. I mean, that's, that's real crisp and clear. And just a little bit of research will know that that didn't happen last week. That was an ad that was digitally made that way in the U.K. for uh, uh, Inglewood or Edgewood, some kind of media device of satellite TV and all that. And, and the ad, and, and, and you can see the ad, and it says, where will this device take you? And they thought, and then they digitally made those clouds. Christians get it, wipe out the car that's in the picture and the stereo thing that's in the picture, and then they post it and they warn us that God's judgment's coming and he's already put the four horsemen in the clouds and warning America for her sin. I see people posting, I showed it to my wife, and I, you know, this man's kneeling by the side of his bed, and he's gone, he's saying, God, we, we, we deserve the judgment that's coming upon our nation, yet I pray for your mercy over our nation, myself and my family. Years ago, I would have thought that was an appropriate prayer, but now I know it accuses God of not forgiving. I heard a great man of God, if I called his name, it ruffled too many feathers, but he said many years ago that if God does not hurry up and judge America for her sin, especially of her sin of, of uh, homosexuality, then he'll have to resurrect Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to her. And boy, there's been thousands and ten thousands of preachers have quoted him. And though he is right in so many areas, he was wrong on that day when he made that quote. And what I wrote behind that quote in an article that I wrote, that if God ever does judge America because of her sin, He'll have to apologize to his son, Jesus. He'll have to apologize to Jesus. Because what God will be saying is that you didn't finish the work on the cross. And you didn't cover all their sins. And you left some of them undone. And now I'm angry about those sins and I'm going to bring judgment. Another sermon, another time. Am I saying there will never be any wrath upon this earth? No, I'm not saying that. But there will never be one drop of wrath upon his people. Because he has poured out his wrath and judgment on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Here we go. Now, this is going to make you mad. Jesus paid it all. This is another Sunday for grace points. All to him I what? Are you kidding me? I know you may love the song, but the theology stinks. Did Jesus pay it all? Well, if he paid it all, I don't owe nothing then. 
because he's done paid it all. If I had a bill down here at the store and, and somebody named Jesus went in there and paid it all, all to them I owe nothing. I don't owe anything. How, do you, can you imagine how offensive it is to God for you to try and pay him back with your fleshly efforts for what he did on the cross? You couldn't with a thousand lifetimes. You don't owe God. And can you imagine the weight of living like I owe God every day? I got to get out. You know what that make you do? Religious. I got to go witness. I got to give. I got to go to, I got to do this. I gotta, and it makes you just, it just makes you just nutty. Last illustration. When you bow and say, Lord, I just want to pray to you today. And, you, and, and, and the first thing out of your mouth is your sin. Number one, you're saying God didn't take care of your sin, so you're talking about them. Please don't, listen to me. Listen. You can talk to God about any weakness, and you can talk to him all day long if you want to about your sin. Did you hear what I said? If you want to talk to God all day long about your sin and your weakness, have at it. But understand while you're doing that, it's not because he's not forgiving you, and it's not because he's angry with you. Because God reconciled the world to himself, and God's not angry. God don't want you to sin, neither do I. We don't, we don't encourage it. We don't want you to sin. We, let's just say we have a birthday party for my son, my spiritual son, Ben. So we're having a birthday celebration for Ben James. I love him, and I really do. And let's just say we're having a birthday party for Ben James. So this is Ben James's day. It's his birthday. The cake is his. The ice cream is his. The presents are his. The, the, the decorations are all on his honor and on his behalf. Is that right? And I invite all you to come. I love my son. And I want him to be the best birthday party, and I want him to have the greatest time. And so while we're there and we're gathered and we're, we're, we're all, you know, talking about Ben and, and we're focused on Ben, and all of a sudden you're there and you raise your hand and you want to say something. So I think like the other guests, I think you want to make a toast to Ben or you're going to say something about how much you love him or appreciate him or, or something. And you know what you do? You go, can I say something? And, and we go, yeah, okay, yeah, go ahead. I just want to tell you all that I've sinned and, and man, I, I'm so weak, and I'm just addicted to this, and, 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 and you just start just, you know, going off on your sin. All of a sudden, the whole party now is turned focus on you, your sin, and your weakness. And we're not even thinking about being no more. We're thinking about you. And we're thinking about the power of your sin. And we forgot that it's Ben's birthday. Because now we're focused on what you introduced in the conversation, which is your weakness, your sin, your trauma. That's how it is every time you as a believer get on your face and introduce the first thing out of your mouth is your sin. And you start bragging to God about how powerful your sin is and how, how, it, how it has shackles and chains upon you and how you're in bondage to it. And you turn your eyes away from the only one that can liberate you from that power of sin. And that's Jesus Christ. You're to look at that son of God, Jesus Fixing your eyes upon him, the author and the finish of your faith. And you are to say, wow, thank you, God, for Jesus. And if you focus on Jesus, sin will have no power, no dominion, no authority. Because you're not under the law any longer. You're under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Come on, stand to your feet. Give God praise. Oh, thank you for letting me go a few minutes over time. Uh, uh, prayer team, come quickly. Come quickly. Oh, man. I just told you the truth, man. I want you to be free in Jesus. I want you to be free in Jesus. Whom the Son sets free is? That means really, really, really free, man. Really free.
I told you they accused Paul. Well, if it's like you say, man, we could just we should sin all the more so that grace may abound. I really thought Paul, when I read that the first time, I thought Paul would have really tore their head off, man. He'd have said, yeah, and you're not, just, you know, he'd have just really went off on him, but he didn't. You know what he said? I told you this the other day. He said, now that you've been freed from sin, why would you want to live therein any longer? I told you that Dale Young's translation is that when I was in sin lost without Jesus, I ate out of the dumpster of this world. The world tried to feed me, but it was garbage. Out the dumpster. Now I don't have to eat out the dumpster because now the table of every delicacy has been spread before me, even in the presence of my enemies. So Paul is saying, if you've been delivered from eating out the dumpster, why would you want to eat out the dumpster any longer? I remember when I was a paramedic one time, I'll never forget this, we pulled up at Kentucky Fried Chicken in Tifton to go in and get us some lunch in the ambulance. When I got out of the ambulance, and we went to walk into Kentucky Fried Chicken. Man, I was hungry. I was ready for it, man. I was ready to go in and get me some chicken, you know. And, and, I, and I looked at the, the rear right there of the store, right by the interstate in Tiff, and there was a guy digging in the dumpster, literally. And he got out a, uh, a chicken box, and he, and he opened it, and it was, you know, like a chicken, part of chicken that done been eaten. And he put it right to his mouth and started well, gnawing on it, you know. <laughs> it broke my heart. The guy looked like a street part. I mean, he just, you know, he just didn't have anything. You, th- you think I could just walk on into Kentucky Fried Chicken and eat chicken and forget that guy? No. I-, I went over to him, and when I called him, and he saw our badge, you know, and all, he thought he was going to get roused, you know, like we was the cops or something. And I said, come here. He said, I ain't doing nothing. He, you know, he started going to argue with me. And I said, no, no, I ain't caught, man. I ain't the police. I said, just come, come here. And I said, man, you don't have to eat out of that. I said, come on in here with me. And I said, I'm going to get you something, okay? And uh, he just stared at me for a minute. And I said, really, come on. He said, you want me to go inside with you? And I said, yeah, I want you to come on in. I said, I'll get you whatever you want, much as you want. I said, you got to eat out of that. So he come inside. And I just said, look up there. You know that big screen? All them chicken legs, three-piece, two-piece, original, crispy, whatever. I just sell, I'm selling some KFC today. I can feel it. Um, and I said, get whatever you want. And, and he, he was just going to order something like a little snack meal. I said, no. I said, man, get you some chicken. Get, you want mashed potatoes? You want, you want the slaw? Biscuits comes with it. Come on. You want so we, he ordered the big, the big thing and handed it to him. And he went back out and sat on the curb, sidewalk, and he opened that box of chicken. He didn't want to eat inside with us. He went out and sat. It, that, that had such a profound effect upon me that day. Just that little thing. Not, not that I'm nothing. I'm not what I'm telling you. But just to see a human eating out the garbage broke my heart. This is America. Nobody should be eating out of the garbage. Nobody should be eating out of a dumpster or a trash can. Nobody. There's no reason for that. And, 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 and imagine that guy taking that four-piece chicken box with all that stuff and leaving it on the table and walking back outside and going back in that dumpster again. How ridiculous would that be? That's how foolish it is for us as Christians to be accused that we would leave a banquet table and go back into the dumpster and start eating again. I don't want sin no more. I don't want to eat out of the dumpster. I still sin, but it ain't on my calendar for next week. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I don't have a plan for it. 
I love Jesus, and I'm loved by Jesus. And the closer I see more of his grace being revealed to me, the less I sin. And the more I just want to say, wow, thank you, Father. See, that acts, A-C-T-S, is a formula. Adore him first, confess your sins, then thank him, then you can make your supplication. Now you got your formula. Now you're talking to a computer. Now you got a formula to approach God. If you'll throw all that, you throw, grace blows all that away. You know what it leaves you with? Now you're a son and you're talking to a daddy. You're just saying, Dad. There's times when they were singing that last song, John, I think y'all did. And this is what I say, say to God sometimes. When, when, when uh, Demisha did that, uh, Abba, Abba, which means daddy, daddy. Girl, you, you, you do it. So wonderful. When she was singing that song, I was thinking, this is the way I do Sometimes I'm hurting so bad. Sometimes I've got stuff going on in my life. I ain't got the answers to. I'm messed up, man, as far as how I feel in my soul, in my mind. But this is what I say sometimes when I don't know what to pray. I just say, God, all I know is you're my daddy, and I'm your son, and I'm hurting, and I need some help. That's Brother Dale's prayer. You're my, so my confidence is you're my daddy. You're Abba. You're my daddy. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I, don't, I can't figure this out. It's too hard. It's too complicated, too convoluted. I don't know. I, I don't know why my healing hadn't manifested. I don't know why the, the money hadn't come. I, I don't know why. But you're my dad. You're my dad, man. And I'm your son. And I just need you to help me right now. Man. That's the best prayer you can pray right there, buddy. That's my daddy. That's my dad, man. That's my father. And he loves me, and I'm loved by him. And he's not angry with me, and he, he's already forgiven me. Imagine when, if you can get up every morning and put your feet on the floor, and the, 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 the God you pray to is your father. And he keeps no record of your sin. And he sees you sinless and spotless. And he sees you as righteous because he's made you righteous in Jesus. And you can, you can walk with that, that favor on your life. How can you not live in victory like that? Battles come, battles go. Trials come, trials go. But my father is always there. He's always there. Come on, give him praise.